0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode one of the Wisdom Collective. I'm so excited for you to meet our first guest, a guy named Jonathan Jonathan Jonathan's an Eastern Orthodox icon carver, and I promise you're gonna learn more about what that means at the beginning of the show. But after that, we'll dive into this, this place where Jonathan gained a lot of fame and popularity, in part because it ended up developing his relationship with Jordan Peterson, someone who he's friends with, but also has some influence with. Um, And Jonathan, he articulates this idea of the narrative nature that sort of undergirds all of the world that we live in, and also the stories that we enact and live out. And of course, so many of us know Jordan does that in his own way as well. And so we dive into some of that, some of their agreements and disagreements, and even how some of that overlaps with where we're at in COVID-19. Now, some of this episode, it'll have what maybe feels like an in-house conversation to it, where because I'm a Christian pastor and he's this Orthodox icon carver. We have some in-house and Bible conversations, but I promise you it it has relevance to the rest of the world if you pay attention to what Jonathan's talking about. So I hope you enjoy it and thanks for joining us. Hey everyone, how's it going? I'm talking here with Jonathan Pagel. Jonathan, you are a lot of different things, um, but one thing you are is an Eastern Orthodox icon carver. Uh, Another thing that you are is um, someone who's trying to help people see what you call the symbolic world. And so I want to talk about both of those things and unpack that for a bit. Um, But before we jump into the symbolic world piece, which is where I got to know you in the first place, tell me, as far as Eastern Orthodox icon carving goes, uh, one, explain to those who don't know what is that? And then two, um, how many of you are there? Are you the only one? Are you the guy?
1: Yeah, I'm, well, in North America, I'm pretty much the only person. Uh, what I do is I carve images for in the style or in the language of Eastern Orthodox iconography, which is really, you know, it's, it's really based in the universal Christian language of art, which developed until the Middle Ages. And so I make these images. Uh, there are a lot of carvers in Eastern Europe, in Greece, and in Orthodox countries. But in America, there's one guy, George Bilak, a Serbian carver, who's actually, actually helped me to learn carving. And uh, he does it part-time kind of, but uh, in terms of full-time icon covers, I'm probably the only person. Mm -hmm.
0: And so you are a a visual artist, obviously, in that respect, Um, but in in a religious sense as well, which is pretty cool. But then you're trying to, well, maybe this is trying to make too many connections, but you're trying to articulate a lot of what's going on in that art um, into the real world and the rest of the world outside of the Eastern Orthodox Church. And so I think that's fair to say.
1: Some of that's what you're trying to do with the symbolic world, isn't it? I think so. A way to understand it maybe is that when I was struggling in the art world, at first I wanted to be an, a contemporary artist. I was struggling, w- as a Christian, I was struggling with the, the clash between contemporary art, the forms of contemporary art, the, the subjects of contemporary art, and my faith. I was Everything was just smashing into each other. And uh, in trying to figure that out, I discovered the language of christianity the, the visual christian language of the church on the one hand the icons the visual language but also the architecture then i realized i kind of started to see that there's a pattern there the pattern in the icons themselves in the images are related to the patterns of the architecture and are related to the pattern of the liturgical year and all of that is actually related to a deeper pattern which we find in scripture Um, And slowly as I was reading and discovering and reading certain authors and also with my brother who was kind of discovering this symbolic world at the same time, he just wrote a book on symbolism called the language of creation. So as we were kind of discovering this at this, all of this together, it all fused together. And we realized that there really is this kind of a universal language of symbolism that, um, that is there in Christianity as well. And also we, we do believe that it kind of finds it's, highest expression in the person of christ as as this incarnational principle um and so what i'm doing in the symbolic world is basically trying to help people to see the world and see the patterns in the world people related to figures like jung uh, or joseph campbell and there is a relationship there but i i'm trying to also show people that it's more than just psychological patterns that because especially now with the science of consciousness and these concepts like emergence that are coming up in, in uh, the problem that science are dealing with today, we realize that the patterns of consciousness are related to the patterns of reality itself, that, that reality actually merges into patterns and that consciousness plays a, a central role in participating and recognizing those patterns. And so that's the type of stuff that I'm talking about. So in the videos, it's not just even just about talking about it. It's trying to get people to experience the pattern. So I tried to surprise people. I tried to create almost like, almost like mini Zen coins or something like that. where I tried to get people to see the pattern so that they – because it's hard to explain this stuff. It's, hard, it's better if you experience it. And all of a sudden, you see the analogy between things, and you realize that there's an underlying pattern that connects it all together. Yeah, an experience. That's such a good way of putting it, Jonathan.
0: It's, it's that participational – nature of what you're doing and what you're talking about um yeah i i've so appreciated your work and and following um while you're writing but especially um and that's good and i and i appreciate just enjoying your art you're you're an excellent carver obviously um and not just enjoying it but trying even there to participate in it and, and observe it right but um but yeah what you've done um in kind of spreading that and um and really um involving and inviting that experience in the ways that you're talking about is through this symbolic world stuff where you get into things like you'll get into a movie analysis and you'll show underlying structures that are in a movie and um and and either the conscious and oftentimes unconscious things that are going on there right um and so i don't know if it would be helpful you have a number of popular videos there but maybe share because it's recent and it was such a cultural phenomenon and there's a lot of views on it um Share about the Joker for a second. Like You obviously you talked about this movie. Um, give people a taste of what you do um, and just unpacking some of the themes
1: from the Joker. Well, are, so one of the figures that I've been talking about quite a bit is the figure of the trickster or the clown or the, the jester figure. This archetypal figure, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and what I'm trying to also show is that there's a, there's a hierarchy in the world. There's a, there's a hierarch- hierarchical relationship between things and the jester or the joker figure appears in a in, in a place in this hierarchy he appears on the edge mm-hmm. and he uses the edge to to do certain things and so the jester figure can be very subversive because the jester figure is always turning things right he, he that's why the image of the clown on the ball rolling the ball juggling all the images of clowns are completely coherent the images of a state fair things spinning, colorful, uh, spinning, eating junk food. All of this is all uh, marginal, re- marginal symbolism, right? And The relationship the, between-
0: the Rides in the, at an amusement park, or let's say a fair, right? Yeah. yeah. It, it's topsy-turvy and- Yeah, it's, it's all topsy-turvy,
1: everything spinning upside down, everything, uh, and it, it's related also to the idea of the relationship between the clown and the freak. The idea of the freak as the exception, as a- something which points out an anomaly and so that's that's the relationship between the clown and the the world in general that's what so a clown is there to point out the anomalies uh sometimes to tell the truth in a way but to do it in a way that's always kind of turning right and showing the irony and showing a double irony and so there's this kind of turning mechanism and so one of the things that i was trying to show in the uh, joker narrative is that one of the reasons why the joker movie got people so angry politically why it was so politically charged is because this the the movie was setting up narratives and then smashing them constantly and Mm so we have these expected social narratives right we have the expect we have these kind of expected social norms and so he would create a narrative where he would for example um let's say he would show something that you expect so he would show these two kind of elite bullies who were mocking uh who's kind of uh who were harassing a girl on the train and so you think yes that's exactly it like that's the social story like that's the social narrative and so you think it's it it works but then then it flips because he'll then show something else which goes completely contradictory of the social narrative like you see him for example like the last scene in the movie i don't want to spoil it for people but there's a scene it's been
0: too long right what so
1: so (laughs) where it's suggested that he's he murders a woman of color for example and so it's like okay wait a minute so no now it doesn't this doesn't work and so it's constantly subverting the expectations um so that so that's i that's what i think that the movie was so frustrating to people and also because he was typifying a character that's being brought about in in let's say the social world right now the idea of the incel the solitary white Mm -hmm. single guy who lives with his mother right so there was this narrative being brought up but then he was acting contrary to what the narrative expects him to be to do and so the but it's like there are cycles and cycles in the the joker it constantly is smashing your expectations so because of that i think that's why it was it was doing what it was doing. And in the end, it basically has this weird incel solitary figure who lives with his mother become a figurehead for an Antifa type revolutionary movement. So you take two narratives, one, which is this like this idea of this weird gamer guy who lives alone with his mom. Then you have the revolutionary Antifa uh, narrative, which are kind of opposed to each other, which use each other as a you know as bludgeoning tools to to hit the other side bad guys and he smashes it together and makes it into the same story so it's like people were just furious about seeing that happen um and so and so but that's when you realize that that's what the clown does all the time the clown is always pointing out the ironies you know smashing uh categories together inverting them putting them upside down and um and so that's why one of the things that I've been saying on my channel is watch the fools. Like that's one of the kind of hashtags that have come out of what I'm doing. And it's mostly to try to help people also to see that in an upside down world, because our world is basically a a giant carnival, like not right now, (laughs) but let's say until the COVID thing, our world was just a giant carnival. Uh, And I was saying, now that the world is upside down, we need to watch the fools because the fool is always turning. So when something's upside down, the fool will turn it right side up. You know, yeah. if the if the king is lying, then the then the the role of the fool is to expose the king's lie. And only know? they can do it, right? That's so- right, and only they can do it. You know? But funny. usually the fool is not exposing the king's lies. Usually the, the fool is throwing pies in people's faces and uh-huh. you know just making them laugh by turning social conventions upside down.
0: Mm-hmm. But when the
1: social convention itself is upside down, then the role of the fool is to turn it right side up. Now they're the truth teller. That's an that's interesting
0: way of putting right. it. Yeah. Once right. the world goes clown world, the world is yep. a clown in some sense,
1: um, all of a sudden they become the truth teller. That's yeah, but it's important to understand, like I said, if you understand that the clown is about turning, yeah. then you'll realize that the clown is not always telling the truth. Most of the time, clowns are lying, or they're 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 subver- they're subverting, which is yeah, fine because it makes you laugh, right? That's what that's what that's what laughing is is when you see something turned upside down. But when it's upside down, like I said, when you're hiding something, when you have a taboo that you don't want to show, then the clown is like, nope, let's take that thing you're keeping in secret, let's put it out in public, right? Let's turn it upside down in that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, and in that sense, maybe sometimes they're telling partial truths, or they're exposing uh, a hypocrisy or an accuracy in something. But they're not telling the whole truth. But like you said, when the world gets upside down, sometimes they are telling what seems like the most. They
1: end up telling the truth in a way, yeah, in a way, just because they're turning it. So Yeah, that's interesting. So there, that's one of the, let's say that's just one of the patterns. But you, could, you can do that for which pretty much everything. I just put out a video today. People, people have been kind of bugging me to, to put out a video game interpretation for a very long yeah. time. And I always didn't want to do it because there's something about video game culture which I think is not super helpful two people but there's a part of it which is fine it's like there's nothing wrong with playing video games i play video games once in a while and so um and so i finally did a video on on uh, mario and i think people are going to be surprised that there's so much symbolism in the mario games
0: yeah well and, and so there's a maybe that's a, a great um segue to the value of what you're up to man is there's a playfulness to some of this, like talking about video games. That's just fun in some respect. I think people want you to do it because, well, they're probably playing video games and maybe they're not seeing the stories and they just want to have fun about it. Um, but yeah, it, as it, as this becomes a practice and becomes normative in people's lives, it starts helping. On the one hand, it's it's good for interpreting at the religious level icons and and even reading and understanding the scriptures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you start seeing these patterns in certain ways, but then. You start seeing these patterns as not just located in a book um, only, but as located in reality itself, right? And so then it starts manifesting in films and all the rest. And what's so cool is I I walked away. Um, I could see some of the things that were happening in the Joker, but I did walk away with some of that underlying um, unsettled and frustrated feeling, but I, I couldn't exactly name why that was. And then hearing you talk about it um, after you had watched it, I was like, that's it it's it's putting all these narratives up there that i'm constantly acting and interacting with in some respect agreeing or disagreeing with or whatever and it's just smashing them and so then it starts affecting honestly your life in a real way right mm-hmm. as opposed to just being not that the video game one won't affect real life but there's a playfulness and a fun to it but honestly it'll trickle over or ripple or whatever you want to say into understanding the world a little bit
1: better yeah well and it's also because so I would say that most of the videos on my channel are actually about religious symbolism. If you if you counted them, yeah. you know it's mostly about religious symbolism. But you know, let's be honest, the videos that get the most views—that's not what they're about. They're mostly about popular culture. Yeah. But I'm mostly trying to help people, to help people see that if the world manifests itself in patterns, like If if we now realize that, then there's no there's no exception. Because even the breakdown of the pattern is part of the meta pattern, and that's why, like I talk about things like the clown or the jester or uh, symbolism of decomposition or symbolism of death, because even the breakdown of the pattern itself is part of a bigger, let's say, call it a meta pattern. So yeah. you just can't get out of it. And so it's it is fun to some once in a while to point to something, which people will say, "Oh, that's just silly. That doesn't make any sense." But it's like, no, I'm sorry, there, there's no exception. From chewing gum to tying your shoes to everything has a pattern. And so you just can't, and so it's fun to take something that people don't expect there to be a pattern in and to say, you know, I'm just going to try to surprise you here and show you that just like everything else in reality, it has to, for you to see it, it has to have a pattern. And that's really the, more, the, the important thing that people need to understand is that the world is too big. The world has too many things in it yeah you know, every every aspect of reality has a million details a million an, not a million an annu like an innumerable about, amount of details there's countless ways of describing something, countless ways of seeing things and so the question is why do we see things like why do, why are we able to engage with things and and it's because we're able we have a capacity consciousness or logos or intelligence or whatever you want to call it i don't even care what's important is to understand that we have the capacity to see and to engage with patterns. And so we're able to see that, even though everything has parts, right? Mm-hmm. A cup has parts, you have parts, but I can see that you have parts, but I can also see that you're one, that, you're, that those parts come together and manifest a unity. And so in order for you to even see anything, you, there has to be a pattern. So mm-hmm. the question is, what's the pattern?
0: You know, yeah, no, that's a yeah. good question, and yeah, maybe a, this is a very practical or a very um simple and it might it may border on simplistic explanation of what you're getting into, but a way I've been trying to think about it is okay, if you if you pulled my idea in my wallet right now, you'd see that Adam is 32 years old and he was born in 1988, and there's a chronology to that, um, but it's just a fact, right? And, and it's a history of my life, um, but. The, the, even the story of my life from a birth to eventually my death has a story arc to it. But within that story arc, it's built on this pattern of every 365 days, I do a birthday party. And if at that birthday party, there's not some sort of dessert and someone doesn't sing a song uh, that's expected, it would be strange. And all of a sudden, because it would be strange because it'd be breaking or uh, monkeying and tinkering with the pattern, you know, that, I'm, that it is expected. Yeah. And that pattern of three hundred sixty-five is four seasons, right? Yeah. I have expectations, and again, it's participational. And so, in some sense, it's both like time. My time is both. It's there's a chronology. There's a, a beginning and an end, and there's a, some things happening
1: in the middle. But the participational nature is patterned, right? Yeah. It's, and so that's uh, the, you, you're you have got it right. The idea is to understand that reality is a fractal, and okay. it has a fractal pattern, which means that the the pattern of as the cycle is a good way to see it. To use a cycle, let's say the cycle of the year. But within the cycle of the year, we have other cycles, which actually have the same pattern, but at a smaller level. And so you have a, you have a cycle of a year, you have the cycle of the months, you have the cycle of the seasons, you have the cycle of the days, you have the cycle of the hours, of the minutes, of your heartbeat, of your breath. And so you, you, the cycles are all based on the same pattern. So if you understand breathing, for example, then you will be able to understand, and through analogy, what the other bigger patterns are, right. that they actually have a, a structure.
0: And not just a structure uh, to this, I hope this isn't overextending, but a life-giving a uh, structure, right? Yeah. Life there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Because just, uh, one be of the problems that we've been dealing with is that people are nihilistic, that, you know, the kind of residues of the new atheists there's still some around there are fewer than there were 5 years ago which is well they're great. not as
0: militaristic or antagonistic they're they're certainly friendlier than maybe 10 years ago they
1: might have yeah i think they backed off a little bit uh, but it's still there you know and and this idea that the world is meaningless is this, still there in the culture but once you realize the patterning of the world then you actually realize the very opposite that actually meaning is inevitable you can't there's no way a, around it you there is no meaninglessness it's impossible you know you couldn't eat you couldn't you couldn't there's nothing you could do without meaning you know yeah and and so and so everything that you encounter has uh, an identity it has a purpose it has it has a reason why it's showing itself to you you know and some of the times it's not an important reason like it can be a very uh, marginal reason, but it's still a reason, right? We still our categories still have reasons for us through through our lens of consciousness. And you people who try to abstract themselves from this experience of consciousness, they're deluding themselves because they're doing it from within that experience you know, because people will often say things like, well, it doesn't matter. It's all a bunch of quarks, and it's all this. And, and it's like, you know, the, the, the universe is so big. We're just a speck of dust and blah, 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 blah. And they try to, to do that, but it's like, you're you, okay. You can do that, but you're still doing it from the perspective of a conscious being in the world. Yeah. Right. You, yeah. you can't avoid the fact that, yeah, the sun will still get come up tomorrow and you'll probably be awake during the day and you'll probably be sleeping at night and you <laughs> have to breathe. And if you don't breathe, you're going to die. And so those are all meaningful things. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, living and breathing is pretty meaningful. Yeah. A lot of people try to do it, right? So, yeah. Yeah,
1: Not only do you try, but it's hard to stop. It's hard to not. Like, it takes a lot of effort to stop the meaning.
0: Yeah. No, that's good. That's really good. So um, I don't know if it would be helpful to share another example um, or to maybe move on this a little bit. You've been talking about a pattern, but you've been almost... You talk, you're talking about nested patterns almost or the fractal idea right um, but I don't know if this is appropriate to the way that you're thinking and seeing this but is there a, a you said a primary pattern right and so would that be this idea of the incarnation of divinity and humanity this overlapping of the two or, or this uh, maybe compatible or harmonization of the two like is that the
1: primary pattern or what where where is that or what is that um I would say that the the primary pattern that we can perceive I would say is more related to let's say heaven and earth like we see in scripture right yeah. the idea yeah. that god created heaven and earth when you the problem with the world right now is that I mean I am a christian completely totally there's you know I go to church I'm in communion all of these things but when you're talking to to people who are not christian or not religious these a lot of the words are so tainted that yeah. people don't know what they're referring to, and because they don't know what they're referring to, it's like there's a berry that comes up right away when you just use the word "God," for example. Yeah. And so one of the things that I've been trying to do is, although everything I'm doing is kind of pointing you towards God, I, I always try to avoid using, use, I, I try to avoid using the term. Uh, <laughs> okay) um, Yeah, and because because like I'm trying to show that that it's not arbitrary. Like these things that that the scripture talks about, that the patterns of the Christian life are not arbitrary. That they are there are let's say synthetic versions of the pattern of your daily life. You know, they they're kind of like a bringing together of the pattern. You know, of just how reality unfolds. Um, But so the basic structure would be something like heaven and earth, right? And so everything in the world has something which transcends it and it has the elements which constitute it and there's like an eminent reality right right you see
0: this clearly in genesis 1 and 2 there's a a transcendent god that seems to be organizing and over chaos right
1: and then you see an eminent god who's walking in the garden right and so you so everything has those two aspects every every everything in the world has a little heaven and a little earth in it which is that it has something which transcends it and it has it has potentiality Has it brings potentiality together in, into something. And so, you know, you have a, I always use the same example when people always make fun of me, but it's like, let's say you have a cup, you know, you can't find the cup in the parts of the cup. Right. They're not, it's not there. It's the parts of the cup all have a, an autonomous existence. The, the place where you find the cup is in the manner in which these parts are aligned together.
0: Mm -hmm. but that and meaning in that too because it's right it has a utility or a purpose right
1: yeah and that structure and that purpose is not in the physical cup right it's above it it's Mm -hmm. it transcends it you can't avoid it it it, it, and so people will deny the existence of those transcendent things because they want it to be material no it's not material it's a pattern the patterns aren't material patterns are patterns they are the manner in which things are structured and so everything has that little heaven and little earth and then everything has what you would call and the way it manifests itself is like a point it's like a place where those two join together where they where they meet where the identity of something and the thing and the, the the constituting thing and it's an invisible point but it's you can see it as a point it's the center the identity of the cup, right? So it's the center of the cup, not physically the center, center in the sense of its identity. And then it, then it manifests itself. And then on the edge of it is the death of the cup. Okay. The place where the cup stops being the cup. So if I, if I, if I I can destroy the cup, I can smash it. it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can do things which will, which will bring it to the edge of its existence. It'll stop being a cup, you know, and yeah. the identity of it will be above and be separated from the the cons- constituted elements, you know? And so that's the pattern you see in Genesis. That's exactly what, when God creates heaven and earth, that's exactly what you see. Um, and when you see the garden of Eden, especially if you understand the garden as a mountain, which yeah. I tried to remind people that yeah. it is uh, because people forget, well, because it's not said in Genesis that it's a mountain, it says right. in Ezekiel that it's a mountain. And so, so it's a mountain. And then as they fall, they move away from that center, which is their center that it's even their own down heart, the you mountain. would say, right. down yeah. the mountain into darkness, into chaos, into death, into fragmentation. All of these things are the story of the fall. Um, and so, but that can happen to anything. Like anything can fall in the sense that every, anything can lose the integrity of its center and fall into fragmentation, a country, you know, a family, Uh, And then you yourself, like your own integrity in terms of, you know, you have multiplicity inside you, right? We all have different thoughts that compete with each other. We have different desires that compete with each other. And what you're trying to do as a Christian and as a person is you're trying to make sure that all those multiple elements are together in the heart. That's a kind of a Christian way of talking about it. They're, They're brought together in a center, which makes them aligned so that they're not fighting completely amongst each other. But you can fall and everybody does. Every time you sin, you fall because you let one of those desires or one of those thoughts or one of those, let's say secondary aspects of yourself, take over and convince you that that's all you are. And so you have a desire to eat too much and then that desire at the moment, it's like saying, I'm everything, like I'm the whole thing, You, you, you know, I'm gonna, and it takes over and it sucks you into the margin. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you wake up and you're like, okay, what did I do? Like, why did I eat that third piece of cake? Like, why did I have that, you know, whatever yeah. next beer that I had, you know? Right. Um, but that's it. That's the same process as what the you center. see happening in the garden. It's like mm-hmm. you're pulled away from your center and then you start to fragment. and You don't recognize yourself. That's why when you sin, you sometimes don't know the person that's sinning. Sure. Yeah. When you wake up from your sin and you like, let's say you lie and then it's like a, 15 minutes later, and you're like, what did I, why did I lie? Like, who was that guy lying? Because right now, I don't understand who that was. And that's because that's exactly the fragmentation of the fall. It's like, you have different aspects of you You can call them little demons or little passions, and they kind of pull you in all these directions. Um, And so that's the kind of, let's say that's the basic structure of reality. So and so Christ, what Christ does is that it it helps us understand also what Christ is, is that Christ fills the world with himself. And so that's why Christ is always actually moving to the margin and joining Mm -hmm. the margin with the center. And you can see that in everything Christ does. He's, he's, he's bringing categories together. Mm -hmm. uh, And he's joining them in ways that seem impossible but are are actually resolving a lot of the puzzles of the fall. So he fills death with himself. He fills, you know, that's why he's always, he's, you know, he's talking to the Samaritan woman. He's talking to the 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 publican. All these all these marginal figures. He's always kind of going towards them and showing them. He goes to the lost sheep and brings the lost sheep back. That's what Christ is constantly doing. Right, right. And that's a that's a well, that's a pretty good pattern for being, yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah. so um maybe um either help me clarify this or um just tell me i'm flat out wrong that's fine too um but it seems like i'm trying to move a little bit into the practical on some of this not that what you said wasn't practical but um it seems like as we make that descent down uh we not only lose our humanity but we erode the Communion not only we, that we have with God, right? But we erode the communion we have with one another. Like, mm-hmm. there's a, at the base of a mountain, even there's a further distancing you can have between other people. The higher yeah. up the mountain, the closer you can be, and the further down, right. right? So, it seems like um there's more than one rejection that can happen in the garden, too. So, like, on the one hand, we can reject our imago day and that we want to reject that we're made in the image of God and that we want to be God, you know, and so we might be more tyrannically bent, but there's also a rejection. And I don't know if nihilism would be the opposite of this, but there's almost a rejection of being altogether. You know, it's not like a, it's not like a rebellion against heaven. It's like a, a rebellion against being. I don't know. Yep.
1: Maybe those are the same thing. Oh, but- you're right. They're the, no, they're, they're They are the same thing. Yeah. Um, and it happens through, this is the trick. Like this is the devil's trick. This is the trick of the serpent is that it happens through wanting the whole thing as when you're part of the it's the same as when i talked about the sin right and so you're part of a puzzle and you want you want the whole thing you want to be the whole thing and so adam and eve are are let's say the top of the hierarchy of creation that's what they're that's what their function is, and their function is to mediate God to the world and to to mediate the essence of things to their things okay, and that's what we do like that's what human beings are in general because cause, uh because pigs aren't defining things like you know dogs aren't if, or don't make dictionaries you like human beings define things okay yeah um but the so the 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 disturbing thing is that it's Adam and Eve say, "No, we're the whole thing, like we are we're the whole shebang, like we're the top we're trying to be prideful, and that's how and then that leads to the opposite. It leads mm-hmm. to fragmentation you know it's the same thing as the sin inside you or the or the thought that that the thought of drinking that fourth beer or whatever you're at, and it's like that thought is making it convincing you that that's it's your whole being yeah, right yeah. that's when you if you lie or if you steal it at that moment, even though you know you know the consequences, there's something in you that's convincing you that your whole being is in this thing. Mm-hmm. like if I can only take if I can only have this thing, then I will be full and it's, it's thinking it's, it's and that's what happened to Adam and Eve in the cosmic sense Think, yeah. wanting to have the whole thing, wanting to be God, and then that leads to fragmentation
0: right and, and so I yeah, like the way you're talking about this with the idea of the cosmic or the universal or however we want to put it in that the way that you're talking about these things, Jonathan, it makes it to where um, a particular conversation that is maybe it's in-house in some ways between um, Christians. Right. But it's, it's not in-house in that you're speaking of universal. So it changes what you were calling sin from being a particular or just a willy nilly capricious, like God made these rules because he, because right. It's no, it's, these things are sin is a fragmenting or a, a dissolving of communion, right? It's a dissolving right. of love. It's a rejection of love. It's all these different things. And so then it changes not only what sin is in, in the in-house conversation, it makes it something that those that aren't in the house can understand and be like, Oh, that is what, what's going on when I'm do X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Right? It's I'm not, a, right. It's like the
1: 10 commandments ten are not arbitrary happen. at all. Yeah. Right. They're not just random rules. Yeah. yeah. No, they're not. They're they they're exactly what I, like the structure that I tried to set up, which is that there are two in the 10 commandments. There are two aspects of their two, let's say like there are two levels. One is your relationship to that, which is above you. Yeah. Your relationship to God, having the proper place in terms of that. And then it's all about being in communion with those around you hmm. and those two things come together, right? Christ said, love your God, love your neighbor. That's how reality exists. Like that you have to love that, which is, which is above you. And then you have to love that, which is inside you in inside. And then, and then you, it'll work, but it's not, that truth is not true only about God. It's true about anything. It's true about a country. It's true for a family that if you, if you want your country to exist, you have to love the thing which is hold your country together, your national identity or whatever something transcendent yeah right, something that is above you, and that and by doing that then you will love also your neighbors and those that are part of this group, and that will also make you that'll make the group exist yeah yeah and so it's just it's actually how reality exists it's not a it's not a it's not just moral it's not a I always kind of tell people that there's very little morality in the Bible in the way that we understand it now. It's not just a bunch of rules or ethical practices. It's really about, and or how we need to act so that we don't step on each other's toes. It's really about how reality exists. Hey guys,
0: Jonathan and I had to take a break for some other commitments we have, but we wanted to jump back in where we left off. And um, Jonathan, we were talking about um, a number of things, um, but one of the things we're talking about is the overlap and sort of the ways that a lot of this symbolic world, especially from this Christian perspective and this Eastern Orthodox perspective, how it has a lot of crossover and interplay with uh, the rest of the world outside of the church, let's say. And, and you're, you have this gift, I think, to articulate it in ways that people can actually understand, and, and then they go, oh yeah, that is what I believe. We we're talking about sin even in that sense, right? That it's this disintegration of self and society and all these things and and if you articulate it in a way that makes sense, they're like, oh yeah, if that's what you mean by sin, sure. That's, that makes sense. Mm. Anyway, in the same respect, um, that's how, I mean, I actually came across you in some, in some ways when you were talking about these things at the pop culture level, but then the overlap that you had with, um, Jordan Peterson, you talked earlier about how a lot of your thinking has been attributed to or connected to say Joseph Campbell or Carl Jung or these different thinkers. Um, but the most, the contemporary example is obviously Jordan Peterson. And so um, I was wondering uh, on the one hand, we don't need to rehash how you guys started your relationship. That's on the internet, but um, in your opinion, um, in what ways then, and you know, your initial connection with Jordan and then uh, today is your opinion of where you're like, Jordan gets it. He's right on with this. This is good. And then at what points would you differentiate and say, I don't think he gets that. What are the Hmm. most important things there? That's a yeah. good question, but does it make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I think first of all, I need to to kind of specify that uh, a lot of people have, have seen that I'm influenced by Carl Jung, for example, but I actually I'm not at all influenced by Carl Jung. I've actually you're, barely you're read, Carl read any Carl Jung. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and also just, I've, I guess I got a bad vibe from Carl, Carl Jung because of his relationship with Freud and also because he seems, at least at first, he seems to reduce um, symbolism to psychological forces. Now, whether or not this is ultimately the case, some people have argued against me and said, yes, maybe at at the outset, that's what he said, but ultimately he was moving towards the idea that these psychological structures are also cosmic structures at the same time, right? So I don't know, because I honestly, I haven't really yet read much Carl, Carl Jung, but I have read Joseph Campbell a little bit in my college years. And uh, there were some interesting things in there. I think that the hero's journey is an interesting way to manifest a pattern Mm -hmm. that is universal. I I think it can't be limited to the way that he presented it because I think that the pattern, like this U-shaped pattern, you could say, um, is something which is manifested in everything, right? From breathing to your heartbeat to Mm -hmm. uh, then to narrative and to all kinds of family structures. So, so I do think. So I do use. Joseph Campbell is sympathetic to Joseph Campbell a little bit in his hero's journey, but I feel like we need to be careful not to be limited by, by him. Um, so in terms of Jordan Peterson, really, he is definitely influenced by Jung, for sure. His symbolism comes from, from Jung mostly. And um, I, re- I encountered him very randomly uh, in 2015. I heard him on the radio, and I was really interested because he was saying things that no one was saying. He seemed to bring the world back to, he was also influenced by Heidegger, I could tell. So he was bringing the world back to phenomenological perspective. And then he was applying what seemed to be the, a symbolic worldview using Jung back onto the world. So it was like, even as a scientist, understanding cognitive science, we need to come back into our perspective, come back into our body, view the world, world phenomenologically. And if we do that and we use Carl Jung, Uh, then we're going to be able to understand a lot of stuff, understand how the world lays itself out, but also understand these religious stories that we've discounted. Mm -hmm. And that was a path that I had already embarked on for years by then. And, uh, you know, what's now is being termed something like relevance realization is something that I was talking about, you know, back in 2015. Even before that, you can find articles that I wrote in 2012 about the problem of What's, what we can call relevant realization—the problem of emergence and how multiplicity becomes one—and
0: people probably thought you were like mad. They're like, "What is this guy talking about?" Right? Well, it was—it's so it feels so <laughs> odd at first, and then it starts mapping onto reality, and you're like, "This actually is helpful," you know? What I mean? Yeah.
1: Well, at first, I was talking mostly within the Orthodox world, and so I was editing a um, a journal called the Orthodox Art Journal, and I was writing on there, and so I was kind of. Sp- Preaching to the to the choir, as we say, I was talking within the circles of Orthodoxy, and my main point was to try to help them see that the patterns that we find in certain saints, like Saint Maximus the Confessor, especially, is actually it's is not something which is arbitrary. And a lot of people would believe that already. It's just that I was showing them how it's not arbitrary, right? I was it's like, here's phenomena. This is how phenomena appears to you. This is these are how these stories appear to you. Um, and so when I heard Jordan, I thought, wow, there's some interesting crossover here. And uh, so I wrote him, this is before he was famous, like this was when he was a professor at the university. So I wrote him and I, I sent him a link to a talk that I gave. And in that talk, I was ex- talking exactly about this problem of image making or how to, multiplicity needs to be abstracted or needs to be kind of condensed in order for you to even see it, you know? Um, and so I wrote him and I said, you know, I, I heard you on the radio and I'm really impressed by what you're saying. And uh, then he answered me very politely, like, thank you for your message and sent me a few links of stuff that I wanted that I could watch. And I thought, you know, that's very kind of him this professor to answer me, you know, just random guy writing him. But then about two hours later, he called me. So the phone rings and I pick up and it's like Jordan Peterson on the line. And he says he's and I could feel like he's disturbed because he's like, where did you get this? Like, Why are you talking about this stuff? You know, I don't. And so we realized that we were kind of on this talking about similar things. Yeah. Um, And so then we started to collaborate to do things together. And this is was I was on his YouTube channel. This is was when his first things were kind of blowing up. He was kind of becoming famous. And what I saw was I I saw that the way that he talked about reality was going to be a bridge a bridge for people to rediscover Christianity, um, even though at that time I was aware, already aware that that's not what Jordan necessarily wanted, you know, and that's important to understand. Yeah. I, I just wrote a, an essay for Bishop Barron's publication, Word Word on Fire, and I talk about this, but that there's a moment in the first, the first time I went, the second time I went to his house and spent a few days at his house, when I was leaving, this is when everything was blowing up and he was becoming famous. And I looked at him and I said, I said, Jordan, you're going to bring back Christianity. And he paused and he looked at me and then he answered, well, I hope I can help people understand the psychological significance of these Bible stories. Right. And so right there you get, if you want to understand the difference between Jordan and I, it's right there. Like it's right in that, one of those first encounters where we kind of, we kind of express the difference between what both, him and I were looking for, uh-huh. and so I think that I still maintain that a lot of the things Jordan is saying is is he's acting as a kind of outer figure, like a king. Uh, he's he's acting like a I forget the name of the the, the Persian king now, it's horrible. Anyway, he's acting like this outer figure that it's pointing back from the outside and saying, "Hey, this is interesting. Like, there's some interesting stuff in there." Um, and so he's like a liminal figure in that sense. Now, one of the things that I didn't really think of, and it's, it's a reality, is that at first I, he wasn't famous when I met him, he was barely famous. So I thought, wow, this is gonna be great because he's gonna he's going to re- convince atheists that religion isn't stupid. He's gonna be able to convince, and it, ha- it worked. You yeah. know, Like the, aggre- the aggressive stance of the, the, uh, the new atheist same, same is America. gone. Yeah. Right. They, can't, they can't sustain it anymore. So even people like Sam Harris, even, even like there's uh, even these t- really type of aggressive atheists, all of a sudden they've had to tone down their language. Well, you because- look at
0: Peter Burgosian wrote a book called A Guide to Creating Atheists. And it was essentially at an apologetic slash street evangelism for creating atheists. And he's speaking at Christian and like politically conservative events now. It's like,
1: that is maddening, you know, that's like, yeah. So I think I, so I think that it worked. I think that he actually did what he he was going to do, but what I didn't count on is that he become so famous, like so world famous that as a liminal figure, he might also be acting the other way <laughs> and and it, and I saw that as well, and I have to be honest, like I saw that as well. I saw people who were Christian, who kind of embraced a more secular. Christianity, a kind of weird secular Christianity um, because of his influence. So that's the reality, you know, and, and I, you know, I love the man. I think that I don't think he's pretending. I think he's sincere, but I, I have to be happy for the good things. And I, and I have to not be agree with the bad things that are happening because of his presence. And what I, I believe that without the fullness of the story that this the a kind of secular version of christianity is not going to hold yeah it's just not going to hold and it's not it's not enough i i believe we need the fullness of the of the story and the and the fullness of participation mm-hmm. for for us to be able to continue and i so so I, I would say that the my main so one of the things that this article that i wrote for for uh bishop Barron, yeah i basically talk about how we can notice all these patterns in stories. And I do it, right, I make videos about movies and I interpret movies showing how the, the pattern that is in scripture is really a cosmic pattern that can be found in all stories, you know, from all time. Um, and that uh, you can find it in movies and comic books and video games and, and, and all in, in popular, and also in politics and in all these, these stories that are appearing around us. Um, and it's good to do that it's good to show people that that's that that's it but it can never be a substitute for participatory stories it can never be a substitute for seeing the christian story as your story as you being a a a character in that story so you can you can read harry potter and think it has a that it shows us some pattern of reality but you can't be in a harry potter novel you yeah, can't be right. in Mar- marvel avengers right and so we have to be careful not to let that not to confuse that and and to be able to recapture our participatory patterns rather than just uh you know the 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 kind of outer this kind of uh well they give you this like
0: little dopaminergic hit it's almost like taking like taking medicine versus actually like doing physical therapy and getting right i mean you get like you you leave a movie even even something is obviously fake you know you're in there and jordan's talked about this like you know you're in there you know it's fake like harry potter there's nothing about you that believes anything's real going on but you leave with a sense of excitement and even like you're like excited about the world or like overcoming something but it's so fleeting like you go home, you eat dinner or whatever, you go to bed, you wake up the next day. And it's not like you're like thinking about how can I manifest the story of Potter today? You know, like, yeah. how can I live into the reality? You, it's done, you know. Yeah. Maybe you buy merch or you buy a book and you continue in that way. But it's this little mind hit. It's not like a participational.
1: Yeah. And so what's left in the in the participational world ends up being more political. And then yeah. people get limited by the political sphere. And there's nothing wrong with the political sphere and political activity and being politically involved. It's just that if you limit it to the political sphere, then there's nothing above transcending and uniting the the different factions. You know, there was a time, like
0: a nation or a flag or whatever, right? There's some got to be some transcendent collection or principle,
1: right? That has, yeah, that brings us together. And so as you, if you give up the highest, the highest point that brings us together, the logos, then you're going to devolve to the nation, but then the nation is—it's not going to hold. At some point, you can—you can hold it for a little while, and you can have the pledge of allegiance. Like they tried that after World War II, right? The pledge of allegiance sure. and God We Trust—they tried to identify the highest principle, kind of with the nation, but it was just inevitable that that would also come to—to—to to, to fall apart.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a short game. You—you—you you, yeah. uh, you Orthodox types, you're all about the long game. I love it. I love it, <laughs> dude. It's good. It's actually Hopefully. really good. uh, in our protestant world we we like the short game you know i think (laughs) we're built on reactions for sure yeah
1: yeah well protestantism has an advantage which is the reach you know because it's because it tends to to it tends to fragment and to take up it's like you know it tends to move out and take up the spaces that are there and so because of that it tends to to have more reach um you get a lot of
0: specialists out of that right and yeah and then yeah the reach happens and relevance but
1: but yeah, like you can sacrifice some of the internal coherence at some point, because that's what happens when you reach out is that you sometimes at some point you have to sacrifice the, the connection to the center to move out further and further. Um, no, that's a good so. way
0: of putting it. Yeah. And that, 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 um, if I, I'm, I'm still working in my world and plan on still working in my world, but like one of the saddest things to me and, uh, and one of the reasons why I've been so attracted to your thinking and your work on this is like, and then others obviously too in your world, but the uh, the lack of history that I have, it's so sad, you know, um, in my tradition, um, so not just Protestant, I'm not a mainline Protestant, non-denominational. Right. And so mm. I, my history is mostly relegated to trying to associate myself with church fathers I agree with and disagree with, but it's not like I have like a long lineage of people in my faith family trying to interpret and interact with their writing and the scriptures and, that, it's It's very sad and uh it's exciting in some ways too, because of all the things you said there's an opportunity to the relevance factor with culture and all the rest but there's it's sad man, to not have a history to like lean on or trust or whatever yeah
1: but I think we're seeing it 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 really is a side effect of scientific thinking yeah it's a side effect of because we have that in everything now we have this sense that we need so so the The downside of the Protestant approach was that here we have this text, right? We have this data, and now we just need to analyze this data. And if we can analyze this data properly, then we will figure out how to be. We'll figure out how to live. And so it's similar to the scientific thinking, which is that the modern world disdains history because they feel like they rather just need the data that's there today. If we can analyze that, then then we'll be able to decide what to do. And that's absolute nonsense in terms of the scientific approach. You can see it because you had Neil deGrasse Tyson one COVID hit saying, well, I hope that people right now are going to learn to listen to science. And science doesn't tell you what to do. Yeah. So you can have the data of how many people are dying. We need it. Yeah, right, right. right. But it doesn't tell you what, how much lockdown you need to do. Doesn't tell you how much power the state has. Doesn't tell you any of that it just tells you what the situation is and so it's important it's super important you need it and science is amazing for that but it never provides the narrative it never provides the what should I do
0: yeah 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 what is but not necessarily what should be yeah for sure well that's actually an awesome segue dude let's talk about um uh, maybe we shouldn't but we should it'd be good to just talk about What's going on with I think this connects up to what you were talking about earlier with the joker and the clown and et cetera, and the maybe I don't know if it does, but that turning or the flip idea It seems like so a matter of months ago, just in 2019 we had uh, in, and then even going back further in the states, we had this Trump election, and he had a number of things he said, but one of the primary things he was campaigning on was this build a wall like borders, and the borders weren't just there uh, arbitrarily, his justifications for it were. We need borders because of protecting your job, your livelihood, your home, all these and some things you that were gross, obviously, mm. but um, anyway, this is the idea is build this wall and a border. And then a matter of months ago, we had um, politicians in the States and on the Democratic side, almost trying to one up each other on who could be the least ordered. you know, like yep. anything to do with a border was just a, a covert or overt sign of your racism, etc. Right. So and they were but now it's fascinating. We've almost flipped where conservatives in respect to COVID and the lockdowns are saying, No borders. I don't want a border on my home.
1: I don't want a border on my bot I mean the some are saying there's reason yeah well report. some are saying that yeah like i'm not gonna wear a mask it's not a medical decision for them it's almost a philosophical decision exactly right masks.
0: yes yeah there's a, a mental either it's a tough guy thing or it's the just i don't trust or believe it or whatever they're thinking but there's no borders right yeah. so they're rejecting borders of themselves i want to go to work i want to travel i want to get out like and then on the other side it's borders at every level borders at the home borders yeah. at my car my face and my mask it's and it seems like a total flip from honestly what they've been saying for the last four years. Right. Yeah. So, uh, what, what's going? Is that, is there something there symbolically? Like how do people flip like that in a matter of a moment? There's a yeah. lot I'm not saying for you to solve the world's problems, but you know, well, give it a there's go.
1: a, there's a, there's a manner in which this, I've been thinking about this intensely, so I might not give you the final uh, answer because no, I'll be deciding, about that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a manner in which, in which, something when you push something to its extreme it becomes its opposite and you can see it you know the image of the of the 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 caduceus like the image of the snake that goes up the pole like you see it in genesis but you also see it in mythological figure and so it it has to do with that it has to do with when when you have to imagine the uh the, the snake going up like this but you also have to imagine it going like this like coiling up the the pole and so it's a cycle And the cycle is when something reaches its extreme and then becomes its opposite. And so you can see that happen in politics all the time. And I think that this is a very, we're seeing very accelerated versions of this where, you know, where the, the, let's say the left hand of, of, of permissivity all of a sudden becomes extremely rigorous and totalitarian, you know, and so you can see it happen that way. And you can see, so, so I think that that's what we're seeing. Um, for sure, there is something about the, the, the border and equality that is related to the way that the left has been portraying the COVID situation. And so the way that more right-leaning people will have a border is, is closer to the notion of identity, which is that we need a border around our identity. And so okay. we're a country. We want a border around our country. And that, for people who who have been kind of radicalized to think that all identity is evil then, or that all identity with power is evil, especially then that is a problem. It's like, no, we can't have a border on our country because it manifests our identity with power. Right. Yeah. Whereas if you're able to, to equalize borders, so everybody's equally closed off alone in their room as much as possible. Then all of a sudden it fits their, their perspective which is yeah. that we don't, we want, we, we massively want borders. We just don't want hierarchical borders. We want equal borders.
0: Yeah. yeah. Now that, now that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's something like that. It's because you're right. It, but it ends up being, it ends up playing out mythologically. It doesn't, it doesn't play out medically. That's for sure. There's mm-hmm. none of it. None of the decisions, very few of the decisions that have been taken have been medical that most of the decisions that have been taken have been continued to be narrative and philosophical. And so because you could, have, you could imagine that easily that you could enforce the idea that, well, it's happened. It happened nonetheless, like especially like here in Quebec, we saw it where some regions who just didn't have any cases or had two or three cases. At some point, it became absurd for them to be, to be, to be locked down inside themselves, like yeah. that everybody is social distancing, and they want well, no, just close the road. Don't let anybody in. Right. So that we can just keep living our life. So there's, so it ended up happening that there were hierarchical shutdowns anyways, but yeah. the, the, the narrative of having everybody's social distance all the time. And, uh, you know, and also it became a, a weird form of virtue signaling where somehow wearing a mask is, if you don't wear a mask, it's almost immoral. Like it's not just a it, it, it becomes the narrative
0: of that, of like the, uh, if, if you wear a mask, you're, um, well, you're, you're not, it's not just masculine, but you're not a man or whatever it is. You know, it's like, you're, you're a coward if you wear a mask. It's like, yeah,
1: yeah. you're a coward if you wear a mask or, and, and at the same time you are killing people if you're not wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. And so then you, so then you have Trump who says, I'll never wear a mask. And then you have Biden, who wears a mask, like he, you know, he could wear a mask in front of the camera if he could. Like he'd wear a mask just to show that he's wearing a mask, and so it becomes—it all becomes posturing and and narrative.
0: Narrative, right? And that's talk about narrative. Talked about earlier about well, you talked about these like passions, but like ideologies will do this, right? They will pull us into a story essentially that that maybe it has some scientific overlap in different ways, but it's not—that's not its base or its root, right? It's base in root is a philosophical or a narrative that's like, yeah, that's telling a story, right? Or particip- yeah. trying to participate in
1: one. But. And it's important not to see it because I, I want to be careful people don't think I'm deconstructing in the sense that not. I'm not yeah. saying that narrative is bad because there's no alternative to it. Yeah. You can't reach, you, can't, you cannot find scientific motivation for your action. It'll always be a narrative motivation. Yeah. So the, but the problem is that if you're unaware of that, then you become a slave of narrative. You you end up following narratives that you can't even perceive and you don't realize. And so you think that your version of reality is not a narrative. It's purely objective, right? So you end up having, you know, you've heard, probably heard this, like, we're the party of science. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, your side is on the side of science. Well, I don't, I think that that's, that's a really dangerous game to play, you know, because I don't, you're using science to justify your narrative, really
0: yeah 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 and um and well this is something that jordan said before and maybe i don't know if you put it differently or similarly but the idea that um ideologies are they're essentially fragmented mythologies and so they're they're partial mythologies um and in a lot of respects a, a little like maxim that i have is like if i am talking with someone and they say x and i can predict everything they're going to say after that it's no longer a person i'm talking to it really is an ideology and like you said there's there's almost an enslavement or a i mean in the biblical ideal it's like almost a possessive kind of thing where it's like you are now manifesting not a person not a dynamic you know uh interesting person it's it's a an ideology it's something else you know
1: yeah you're possessed by a by a demon like you you yeah. are you are, you are just under a principality and you don't realize it, that you're manifesting that principality. Uh, for sure. That's true. Um, but one of the things though, that I, that I, if you we were talking about ways that Jordan and I disagree is that mm-hmm. one of the ways we totally agree is the idea that the solution is to become a saint. Like he doesn't say it that way, but okay. he says, clean your room and, you know, clean <laughs> your room, fit your life. I believe that that is a solution. I believe that becoming just, you know, repenting that is the solution to the the social problem okay yeah so so on that we totally agree now what i what we don't agree on is i believe then it is inevitable that that will scale up Hmm. and so we can't avoid higher identities okay right and so you 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 can't avoid having group identities group narratives and then it scales up and so Jordan t- tends to always want to pull away and wants to emphasize radical individualism. But I think that that's a, that's not, that's not possible. It's not possible and it's not wanted because we have the sense in Christianity that we are meant to, to be the best hand you can be, but that you also need to be well-fitted with all the other members of the body and, you know, moving towards unity in Christ. So we need higher level beings. We need group identities. So the, the problem is that, so I, that's what I, if you hear that listen to the first talk I gave with Jordan, okay. which was about logos, I, I right away bring that up. I right away say, yes, if we bring back logos, if we bring back these these notions, we're going to have identity and it's going to scale up. Now the question is, how do we do it? If we're aware of it, then we can avoid as much as possible the pitfalls that also come with group identity and yeah. the dangers that come with it. But if we can't just totally discard it because um Cause what's going to happen is that those that do have group identity, if we just focus on the radical individual then those that do have a group identity are going to ram into us like pudding. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because that is also, it, it. that is a, that is a real power, you know, having a group identity is a real power.
0: Yeah. And I keep bringing this back to in-house conversations, but it it's reminding me that um, I don't know if tension is the right word, but the, the both and of, let's say, the root of existence is this God who is at one, at once, one and multiplicity or community, you know, yeah. he's at one uh, in the person of Christ, divine and human. He's, he, you know, so he's in this collective of humanity, but he's divine. It's like, it, it, he's constantly bringing those two together and heaven and earth, like you said earlier, is sort of the, the prototype for a lot of this, but bringing these two together um, and then you realize Oh, he's not just doing that in reaction to some problem, etc. This is like the reality that all creation, if it's working harmoniously, should be manifest that's right and flourishing and whatever, right?
1: Yeah, that's totally right. What you're you're saying it's it's the very nature of reality is that we need to stop seeing the incarnation just as a reaction of God to the fall, yeah, to see yeah. the incarnation as the very purpose of creation. Hmm. So you read it in the church fathers that that what Christ, what Christ brought is what God wanted for Adam in creation. Yeah. That Christ God wanted to unite himself with his creation from the very beginning. And so there it's just that that Christ ended up being a very long detour for that to to happen. Um and in a way in a way there's also a weird mystery which is that it happened in a way that's higher than even what was there at the beginning so that's a strange part but it's it's mostly to understand that it's the very nature of reality and it's not just that but it's the very nature of god yes we that's what we believe. that's why the trinity is so important for christians is to believe that god is is absolute one absolute you know three and n- those two things not in contradiction if you can't fathom that because of their perfect one and perfect many then those two end up you know kind of existing in an infinite mystery that we can't understand but it's like we think it's a contradiction it's not a contradiction because everything also has to be one in many just yeah. that god exists that way in a perfect infinite manner
0: yeah and i think it is something you said actually in that idea of speaking of mystery um i tended in in my circles let's say in that in the protestant world i'm swimming in um let's say especially within mine i don't know what all the mainliners think i don't speak for all protestants but uh we we tend to use the word mystery as essentially our like excuse to no longer try and divulge or try and understand or try and like explore mystery is like well you'll never understand it it's like unsolvable and in a sense that's true but that's it's not the excuse mystery is not the excuse to like no longer search it's the idea of this like bottomless well of enjoyment and exploration and participation all these things we're talking about um and, and you and others have been so helpful in that man. Uh, just reorienting like what mystery means especially in these foundational matters like trinity mm-hmm. and incarnation and everything else and so i appreciate well, happy that.
1: we could i get, i'm happy we could help if that if that's it that's good yeah well, well it, it, this is like
0: a a sec maybe a, another conversation because i've been so encouraged and helped i think what well, that conversation we're having about the political differences this is i uh, have an opinion I think a lot of the manifestation of the right is hyper-individualism, et cetera, to the extreme oftentimes, to the ignorance and the ignorance of the community, right? Um, And and the response to the community is, pull yourself up by your bootstraps in the stereotypical form. But then in in the inverse, uh, this is especially true in the States, like the hyper-focus on the left on community over the individual, or sacrificing the individual for the community, it, it, it's yeah but the left isn't active. about
1: community either it's about collective it's different right
0: it's not exactly because it's so ideologically pure in the sense of like the many and so if if the two could be not just overlapping but interacting and benefiting each other in a complementary fashion that's that's an ideal right that's a beautiful thing where all of a sudden they're bringing out each other's best and maybe offsetting differences and it's just that that would be a dream man
1: <laughs> yeah well because community is the balance between those two it's the balance between the idea of the collective we could call it or the just the many um and then the 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 unity or the one right so you need that in order to have true community
0: yeah and I, i'm hopeful I, this is a silly dream and i know i've talked with some orthodox folks who are like yeah just if you want that just become orthodox but <laughs> when i say like this, these types of conversations, I think, in uh, even with, you know, uh, Roman Catholics, too, and to some degree, um, but especially with you guys in this Eastern Orthodox stream, it's like, it's benefiting me in, in tremendous ways. My hope is in some ways there's a compliment to that. Um, but I've been so benefited by, um, well, this long game of thinking you guys have been up to, you know, um, and in helping me balance some of that out. So hopefully we can do some of that toward you guys. So.
1: well Well, for sure i mean i think that to be honest like a lot of people will not be happy that i'm saying that but i think that the the uh the pouring in of protestants into orthodoxy had in america is actually a boon for orthodoxy even though some orthodox won't agree it's actually a boon (laughs) for orthodoxy because it's it's actually bringing energy it's 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 bringing in a kind of energy which uh which can sometimes be lost in uh in the you know a kind of hyper formal state connected church you know because orthodoxy despite what a lot of orthodox people will try to to convince you of orthodoxy was extremely compromised in the 19th and 20th century right. like radically compromised and so we need to they also need to break free from a lot of the the kind of insipid patterns that that seeped in during the time of totalitarian Uh, regimes in their countries and so I think well I think it's happening but I think it it takes time and it and to have this these converts that come in with a kind of a kind of unfocused energy which can sometimes be excessive I think is nonetheless good to force people to rethink some things so
0: yeah no that's great man that's great that's really good so I want to close with one thought and then also just ask um, how people can stay connected to you but with everything we were talking about before and even this conversation right here Um, uh, a guy I know was talking about how if you try to look at the world, you'll see like all of these little like peaks almost. So like these tribes of say, and maybe they're like really narrow ideologies within a politic. Like there's Planned Parenthood tribe and the, and then the right to life tribe. And there's all these Mm -hmm. different tribes happening and they have their own hierarchies, right. Of like in group and out group, you have to do certain things to move up. And if you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, you're out. Um, And and, it a way to conceptualize that isn't to think of like warring tents necessarily, but to think of them as peaks on an iceberg in that, that at the bottom and underneath, there are some universals and some things that can be tapped into and, uh, and, and grabbed that, that have to be true for every tribe, right? And I feel like uh, in an odd way, like you said, Jordan was doing that and that I, when I was following what Jordan was up to, um, even before some of the political stuff, um i was like he's talking about some christian things and this is odd and then i saw someone come through our building with a jordan peterson logo t-shirt on i was like something's going on here yeah we're new new to the church and it's like what in the world so anyway it's uh something's going on there i mean i think jordan has been a front door to the church but i think you and uh, a lot of your thinking is going to become this front door for a lot of people i mean that the most Uh, eclectic group of um, non-believers, Jewish people, Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, and Christians that have been in this building at the same time was around this type of stuff we're talking about, Mm. having conversations about, yeah, um, these deeper realities. So thanks for what you're doing. Uh, I hope you continue to be this front door for people, Um, but how can how can others? Obviously, your YouTube channel will be an easy follow, but what else can they do to support you? Or? Well,
1: I so I I it started with the YouTube channel, um, and now there's a website, thesymbolicworld.com, where all of the the YouTube videos are 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 kind of are there. But there's also a blog now, and there's a bunch of people that have been following the work for several years and who have kind of developed the thinking, symbolic thinking. Um, and so you'll find articles there on all kinds of subjects that are coming out. Some explaining, some orthodox liturgical life very simply, but also analyzing, you know, TV shows or stories or, or fairy tales. So that's been a lot of fun. There's also a clips channel that uh, some of the fans of the page are are putting together. So little tidbits like short short things uh, to find. So that's mostly where you can find my stuff is on is on the YouTube channel and on my website.
0: Yeah, and I would encourage people. Obviously follow both it's not hard to click follow both but follow the clips or like engage with the clips one first because what's so cool is that you're not uh you're not in charge of the clips you know what i mean no people
1: other people are putting them together
0: so it's it's interesting things that are interesting to people you you might think something's interesting and no one cares about it and then there's something else you just say off the hand and like it's like that's the clip you know yeah
1: yeah and it's all a lot of other questions that people ask during the question and answer period so someone asked me like recently you know what's a christian interpretation of lilith and it's the kind of thing that i never made a video about but then i answered and that video has like some of the most views on the channel so it's interesting right, cool.
0: well uh, jonathan i really mean it thank you so much for what you're up to um keep it up and thanks for making time for this this was oh
1: it's my pleasure It was great to talk to you
0: yeah i appreciate you man we'll see you all right